So Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and, and the certainty and the conviction of what we do not see. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. We, we defined faith last week simply as this, it's believing God. It's trusting in God. Faith is what we do in response to God's promises. It's what we do while we wait for God to show his faithfulness. It's very important. We must remember that as we go through these next few weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, and as we speak today. Faith is what we do in response to the word of God. It's what we do while we wait for God to display his incredible faithfulness. There are, there are times when we wait, and you guys know it, I know it, when as we are waiting for God to, to come through, as we're waiting for God to, to fulfill his promises, there are times when someone is sure to say, God will never come through for you. And sometimes that person is you. Sometimes you're the person who's saying to yourself, did I hear God correctly? And, and I, I'm trusting that through this series, we're going to be able to establish the conviction that God is faithful and therefore be able to say to those naysayers, including ourselves at times, no, God will come through. I trust him. Faith is trusting in God. Paul writes in Romans 10, uh, quoting David from the Psalms, he says, anyone who trusts in the Lord, anyone who believes in the Lord will never be put to shame. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Anyone, in a beautiful promise, anyone who, who puts their faith in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord, will never be put to shame. Lane was praying this morning at the prayer meeting that, that she felt some might be concerned or worried about trusting God for fear of him disappointing us. And the Bible says anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. Faith is all about hearing. We incline our ear to the word of God. Uh, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Faith involves seeing. The writer in, uh, uh, to, the, to, you know, to the Hebrews says that, that we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Faith means that heaven is the greater reality. Because our eyes are fixed on Jesus, because our ear is inclined to the Lord, it means that we don't live by what we hear and see in the world. We live by what we hear and see from heaven. Heaven becomes the greater reality. That's why Paul writes in the book of Colossians. He says, fix your hearts on things above. And in the very next verse, fix your mind on things above. Faith means that we are called to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Beautiful promise from, you know, from Galatians chapter five. Paul writes, he says, keep and step with the spirit. And that's what faith means. Faith is we've heard God, we've seen Jesus, and we are therefore keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And I love that verse because it doesn't speak of the Holy Spirit going ahead of us or doesn't speak of God saying, all right, I need you to go, but you're going on your own. No, God's saying, this is where I'm calling you to, to go. This is what I'm wanting you to do. And I'm sending one just like my son, Jesus, who's gonna walk with you, keep in step with him. I liken that relationship, partnership with us and the Holy Spirit, perhaps as a dance. I'm not a great dancer, and I'm speaking kind of close dancing, waltzing, or, or kind of the foxtrot or whatever. You know, the, you, you need a leader. You're close, but you, you need a leader. If, if you're trying to lead, or if someone else is trying to, it, it's, it's a mess. You need someone to lead. The way I like to liken this, this walk with the Holy Spirit is that famous three-legged race from, from kindergarten. You know those, those times where you do the egg and spoon race or the, or the, or the sack race? 
Um, maybe that's just a South African thing, I don't know, but uh, there's one that where, where you find a partner and you have a three-legged race, and so you, 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 you tie your, leg, your middle legs, these legs together, you tie them together, and, and you kind of arm in arm, and you have to race everyone else, and the only way that succeeds, we all, we've all done it, I'm sure, the only way that succeeds is if someone takes charge. If you're both trying to say, okay, now, now, left, right, or whatever, it's, it's a mess. Someone has to take charge. And that's what Paul is writing in the book of Galatians. But he gives us a great clue as to who should take charge. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. Not the Spirit, keep in step with us. And so that's the life of faith. The life of faith means the impossible becomes possible. There's something very distinct to every single person's journey of faith. God never calls two people to exactly the same journey of faith. The, the struggle that we have sometimes, I think, and, 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 I, and I wanted to kind of allude to say this last week, but I, but I feel like Lord, the Lord wants to impress it on our hearts for this week, is, is because we live in a culture that continually compares ourselves one to another, so often we can disqualify ourselves to what God has called us to off the back of what God has called other people to. We so quickly are, are, are comparing our calling God to others, and we say, well, I can't do that, and, and I certainly can't do that, and I'd never be able to do, you know, to do that or that, and because I can't do all of those things, I don't have the courage or the faith to do the very thing God has called me to do. And we forget that God hasn't called you to do that, and God hasn't called you to do that, and he hasn't called you to do that or that, but he's called you to this, and whenever he calls us, there is his grace and enabling to do the things that he's called us to do. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us person after person who was called to something distinct and something different. Moses was called to refuse the treasures of Egypt. Elijah was called to hide in a ravine, both by faith. Today we're gonna learn that Abel was called to, to offer a sacrifice. Enoch, next week, we're gonna learn, was called by faith to walk with God. Noah was called by faith to build an ark. Abraham was called by faith to leave his country. And for each and every one of those tasks, God gave them, God gives us his supernatural enabling, his grace, his empowering. No matter what we are called to by faith, no matter what these people that we read of in Hebrews 11 were called to by faith, there is one thing every single one of them have in common, and that is that God commended them. Verse two, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, verse one, and the certainty and the conviction of what we do not see, this is what the ancients, this is what our spiritual ancestors were commended for. Sometimes when we read the Bible, God might highlight a particular word or a particular phrase. And it's very important that we pay attention to those moments because often those are the moments that the Holy Spirit is grabbing our attention and we need to learn to, to pause for a moment and dig in a little deeper. Fortunately, with the internet, there is, a, there is the less of a need to have a degree in Hebrew or Greek to be able to understand what the writers are saying. And there's some amazing online tools that allow you to, to kind of dig deeper to, to find out what the original author was meaning by looking at, at the understanding of, of that particular word. And that was the case when I read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, when it said, this is what the ancients were commended and as I began to dig into this, this word, I, I found out that, that the word commended is a really poor translation of what the author's original intent was. When you hear the word commended, it sounds like, some, like God's giving you a pat on the back, you know, like a, a handshake and a certificate for being 
Christian of the Month kind of thing, you know? Well done, full attendance at church. He has a certificate of, of commendation. Well done, son, you know? And that, that's, that's such a weak translation, such a weak understanding of what the true meaning of that, it doesn't convey the weight of that word. The word commend finds its context in the legal sphere. Every single one of us, and I want you to imagine this, every single one of us knows what it's like to be wrongly accused. We've all been there. And how desperate we are at times to to wanna make sure that we can right the wrong, that we can come out from underneath that accusation. I want you to imagine for a moment that a friend hasn't wrongly accused you, but you find yourself in a far more severe situation. You find yourself in a court of law. And you are on the witness stand. You've taken the witness stand. And you're trying to defend yourself against the charges and the accusations that have come up against you. But your defense is not going so well. I want you to imagine for a moment that, that angst, that, that panic, that concern, that worry, that fear, that this actually might go the wrong way. The reason your defense is not going so well is because you can't find that key witness that is able to, to, to completely uh, throw out the charges because they will provide that airtight alibi. And as you're sitting there giving your defense before the judge and jury, suddenly, in the back of the courtroom, in walks that missing witness. And the court's proceedings stop, and you get off from the stand, and in your place stands this key witness. And they bring that airtight alibi. And the charges are completely thrown out. I want you to imagine the relief and the sense of joy and the sense of literally physical freedom that comes upon you. What that expert judge, or that, sorry, what that expert witness did in the court of law by proclaiming to everyone who would listen that you are innocent of all charges against you and that you are completely approved, what that expert witness did is what God does to those people in Hebrews 11 and what God does to us, those of us who are in Jesus, when he says, I commend you. That's what that word means. I commend you. I absolutely and totally approve of you now and forever. And I wanna say, this is the truth that I want to communicate to us today. That absolute approval and acceptance of Jesus or by Jesus is the, is the firm foundation that enables us to live a radical life of faith. That absolute assurance and certainty that I am forever accepted by the Father because of Jesus is the firm foundation on which enables, which enables us to live a radical life of faith. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place of being approved? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 tells us that, that Abel is still teaching us today how to be commended. Let's, read, let's carry on reading. Verse, uh, uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and the certainty and the conviction of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was invisible. Verse 4. By faith... Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks today. His his faith still catches our attention, even though he is dead. 
So let's take a moment and kind of consider the backstory. So the, we're not going to turn there, but the backstory is told in Genesis chapter 4. Abel was a rancher or a rancher, if you are American. Abel was a rancher, and, uh, and he kept sheep. That was his job. He, he looked after sheep. And, and his brother Cain was a, a, a farmer. He, he grew crops. And it came to pass that it was time for, for them to bring an offering to the Lord. And completely understandably, uh, uh, Abel, who looked after sheep, brought the first fruits from his flocks. And Cain, who, who grew crops, as is expected, brings the first fruits of, of his produce, the produce that he had grown and that he had made. But verse 4 of Genesis chapter 4 tells us the Lord's response. The Lord looked with favor on Abel. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and approved his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look on with favor. Now, at first glance, this seems, this seems totally unfair. I mean, here are two brothers raised in the same family, taught by the same parents, and that's an important thing that we're going to circle back to in a, in a few moments, taught by the same parents Two brothers in the same family, raised in the same way. The same teaching came upon these brothers. And essentially, they're bringing a, a very similar offering. They both, one, one tends flocks, the other raises produce, and they both bring a, a, a portion of what they have worked for. But the Bible tells us that God accepts Abel's offering and not the other. Both Cain and Abel had been rightly taught by their parents that it was not possible to come before God just as you are. You had to bring an offering, an offering by which you hide behind and you say to God, God, will you not look at me? Will you look at the offering instead that I'm bringing before you? I want you to accept this and not accept me because I know that I'm not able to come into your presence. And before we think that that is some kind of archaic religious way that only happens in the Old Testament, let me say, I believe that's something that's still continuing today. We spend so much time as a culture hiding behind our offerings that we bring to one another to find acceptance. I want to hide behind my weaknesses and I want to push forward my strengths so that each of you will accept me on the basis of my strengths and not reject me because of my weaknesses. It's how we get the job. It's how we get the second date. I realized I did that just the other day when I went to the opera with my daughter. I'd never been to the opera before, so I was a little bit kind of like out of my comfort zone to some degree. And because I love to research and I probably spent like a week online researching, how does one go to the opera? Uh, I literally, I kid you not, I literally typed in this phrase into, in, into Google. I typed in, I was going to see the magic flute, so I typed in this phrase, magic flute for dummies. And uh, I popped this three-minute video that told me the backstory, and I went to photographs of the lyric and the Met, and I saw these Beautiful people dressed in wonderful gowns and men dressed in tuxedos and everyone looking so fancy and so dressed up. And I was intimidated. And I thought, to, and so that night as I was getting ready to take Hannah to the opera, I probably went through four or five outfits <laughs> to try and find the right one. I mean, I started off with something similar to what I'm wearing today and realized very quickly that that would not be an offering acceptable to the, to the opera fraternity. 
And so very soon I was wearing a collared shirt, a button-down shirt, and looking a lot more fancy than what, what I should. And all I was doing was bringing an offering that would be acceptable to the people around me. And can I just say, and this is a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to admit it anyway, when I got to the opera and I did see a few people wearing jeans and a t-shirt, I was very dismissive of them and kind of <laughs> like, you clearly don't know how to attend the opera, you know, you clearly have, you clearly have no idea about this. But friends, it, 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 it wasn't always like this, and it doesn't need to be this way always. Genesis chapter 2 tells us, the incredible account of Adam and Eve who, who, who were completely naked and it says they, they had no shame. They weren't controlling the image or the picture that was shared between each other. And the same way that they, the intimacy with which they related to each other, that lack of shame and that lack of fear was the same way they related to God. They would walk with God in the in the cool of the night. But unfortunately, when, when Adam and Eve chose to, to trust themselves, Instead of trusting God, when they chose self-reliance over God-reliance, what happened was that relationship of intimacy between them and God was broken, and that relationship of intimacy between each other was broken, and suddenly they had to control what each other saw. They started to hide their nakedness with fig leaves. They started to hide from God as he walked in the cool of the morning, Genesis 3 tells us. God asks this amazing question. He says, where are you? And that statement of where are you is not a statement of God didn't know where Adam and Eve was. It's a statement that, that declares God's desire, God's intent, God's purpose, God's, God's want is for Adam and Eve to be close and intimate right by his side. And they weren't. And so something had to be done. Something needed to take place. And, 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 and we can't... We can't look at Adam and Eve and say, you know, that, that's for them. We, we, we continue to do this today. We continue to offer offerings to one another. We continue to offer offerings to God. We even offer offerings at times to ourselves that we might be acceptable. Some of you know what it's like to, to, to desire success to the point where you are working 80, 80 plus hours a week. Or maybe that insatiable desire to, to want, to be, want, want everyone to be pleased with you. That fear that you have of hearing those words, you were never there for me. Or the fear of putting on a few pounds because you, you, you feel like you might not be accepted. And, and in each of those examples, I'm not pointing anything out for anyone here. Those are my struggles over the last 10 years. Things that I've realized are, are kind of offerings to myself or even offerings to you in the hope of being liked and accepted. The Bible tells us that God wants to remove that. Abel, the rancher, or the rancher, offers a lamb. Cain, the farmer, brings the produce from his harvest. But there was a difference and a distinction in why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. And it says this in Hebrews 11, Abel offered a better sacrifice because Abel offered a sacrifice by faith. By faith. By faith. That's the difference between the offering that Cain brought, trusting in his own works, compared to the offering that Abel brought. How did we define faith in the beginning? 
We define faith as what we do when we respond to the word of God. We define faith as that thing that we do while we wait for God's promises to come to pass. So something happened here where God had spoken a promise to Adam and Eve, and we're going to look at it in a few moments. God speaks a promise to Adam and Eve, and that promise, that word of God, has been passed on to their sons, Cain and Abel. And their response, to either by faith or, by, or not by faith, is how God receives their offering. When Adam and Eve were trying to hide themselves, God declares this incredible promise over them in Genesis chapter 3. He says, firstly, the first promise that God speaks of Adam and Eve, which Adam and Eve then, then spoke to their boys, was this. Don't try and find a covering for yourself. Don't try and hide your shame and your weakness yourself, because you will never do so sufficiently or satisfactorily. Let me hide you and cover you. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read that the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And when I read that verse, the first verse that comes to mind is that incredible promise in Isaiah 61 verse 10, which says, My soul rejoices in God because he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has covered me with robes of righteousness. You see, friends, my weakness and my shame and my guilt can never be covered sufficiently by the things that I try to do to please God or please others. But the Bible says, for those of us who are in Jesus, we are clothed by the garments of praise, the garments of salvation, the garments of righteousness, the robes of righteousness. I am robed like a king because I am robed with the garments of Jesus. That's the wonderful promise that God speaks to Adam and Eve. And he gives them the second promise. He says this to them. He says, one day... Not yet, but one day down the road, I'm going to send a descendant from Eve, a descendant from the woman, and, she, and, 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 and this, this descendant is going to be involved in a bloody battle. It's going to be a terrible struggle against the devil, but he, he's ultimately going to emerge victorious, and he's going to be the once and for all offering that will always ensure that you are accepted. And this is what was passed on to Cain and Abel, and their response either by faith or by not, or not by faith, determined how God received them. See, Abel went away and he realized when it was time to bring the offering that he fully didn't fully understand what God meant. He didn't fully grasp that God was one day gonna bring Jesus and we're gonna look at that in a few moments. But by faith, Abel went to the Father, went to God and he said, God, I don't understand everything that you've said. But I do know that one day you are, go, you are bringing a bloody offering. You are going to bring someone to suffer. And so by faith, even though I don't fully grasp this, here I want to bring to you a bloody offering. I bring to you a slaughtered lamb that points towards the great offering that you will one day bring. I don't understand everything, but I choose to put my faith in you. Whereas Cain did exactly the opposite. Cain said, you know what? I don't fully understand it, but here's here's what I do know. I've worked hard to produce this grain. I've worked hard to produce these crops. I'm not gonna trust God's word. I'm gonna trust my works. And so God, here's an offering that I bring off the back of my sweat, the the sweat of my brow. I've broken my back to, 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 to bring this before you. You have to bless me. That's the difference between faith 
and not responding by faith. In Luke chapter 18, and thousands of years later, Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he says a, tax, a, a Pharisee goes into the temple to bring offerings to the Lord. And the Pharisee stands before God in the, in the temple and he says, God, I know that you will bless me because I, give, I come and pray and fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I have. And Jesus contrasts that Pharisee with the tax collector. A tax collector, a terrible sinner who walks into the temple and he has, all he can say is, oh Lord, oh Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus asks the question, which one leaves declared righteous? Is it the religious Pharisee? Is it the law-abiding citizen? Is it Cain who trusts in his own works? Or is it the tax collector, the thief, the sinner who realizes his own weakness, but by faith he cries out to the Father, have mercy on me. Is it Abel? How do we bring offerings to the Lord? Which offering do we hide behind? Do we hide behind our hard work? Do we hide behind our strengths? Cover our weaknesses? Or do we hide behind the offering that God had promised 2,000 years ago and, 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 and caused to come to pass through the person of Jesus Christ? You see, that's the offering that God had promised. That's the offering that, that Abel's offering was pointing to. It's the offering of Jesus Christ who came to earth to live as one of us, who lived completely free of sin, though tempted in every way, went to the cross, died a bloody death, but was raised from the dead three days later. Jesus is the one we point to when we come before the Father, friends. When we come before the Father, don't ever forget this truth. When we come before the Father, we come before the Father on the basis of Jesus' absolute perfection, not on anything we have or haven't done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For our sake, for our sake, God made him, God made Jesus, who, who had no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took our sin and he placed it on Jesus. But not only that, he took Jesus's perfection and righteousness and all the blessings that come with it and he placed it upon us. And so friends, when I come into God's presence, it's not on the back of whether I've done well today or not. If I had, I'm gonna be completely honest, we had a fight on the way here. I caused my daughter to cry. And I stand here, not because I am a good or a bad father. I stand here on the back of what Jesus has done, his perfection, his righteousness. When I'm in need, I come on the back of Jesus' perfection. When I've done well, I throw that aside because that's not going to get me into God's presence. When I start asking the question, have I done enough or will God accept me, I've lost sight of Jesus. And I would, challenge you that, that, I would challenge you with that today. If you find yourself asking the question, have I done enough? Or will God accept me because I've done this? You've lost sight of Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Because of Jesus, if I'm ever wrongly accused, I don't have to defend myself. I look to him who has justified me forever. 
If I ever feel guilt or shame trying to cover me, or other people trying to place their expectations on me, I don't have to get defensive. I don't have to allow them to, them to clothe me. I know that I'm clothed with the righteousness of Jesus because I'm in him. If ever I'm overwhelmed, I don't have to hide from the world like I tend to do. I can run into the name of the Lord who is a strong tower. I can hide in Jesus and find strength to overcome. Whenever my faith wavers, and let me tell you, there are times when my faith wavers, I don't have to get down on myself because I know that even when I'm faithless, Jesus is always faithful. So how do we respond to this? Quickly, let me bring this into land. What do we do with this reality that we are commended off the back of what Jesus has done for us? Number one, if you are not a follower of Jesus here today, Perhaps you're visiting for the first time or perhaps you've been coming for a few weeks and and you know that you are not a follower of Jesus. Well, I wanna just quickly say this to you in particular. Don't think that you need to bring an offering to God to try and win his favor for you. You see, salvation is not, Lord, I will do this for you in the hope of you doing something for me. Salvation is coming completely empty-handed and saying, God, I don't fully understand everything, but I'm choosing to trust in you. I'm taking the faith or the trust that I place in my own works, and I'm putting that faith and trust in you. That's your response if you're not a follower of Jesus here today. Say, Lord, today, I choose to trust you. If you are a follower of Jesus, I wanna bring one truth to you as well. Just remember, we are teaching through these, these, the, the first kind of seven or eight verses out of Hebrews to lay a foundation for the year ahead. And so this, this, the stuff that I, that I brought last week and the stuff that I'm bringing today, I don't, I don't want you to go away and do it for a couple of days and say, great, I've got a check mark. This is a, this is a, these are foundational things that I'm encouraging us to put into our, into our lives. Last week, I, just to quickly uh, recap, last week I spoke about what do we do while we wait for God's promise to, to come through? And I said three things. While we wait for God to show his faithfulness, we worship. While we wait, we remain in God's word. And while we wait, we walk in step with the spirit. We've kind of touched on that today. But today, the application, the, the challenge that I wanna bring to us all is this. We need to settle this. We need to settle this once and for all. You are forever accepted and always approved on the back of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's the firm foundation that enables us to live a radical life of faith. Faith is not our part in the equation. Sometimes we think God provides the sacrifice, we provide the faith, that enables God's promises to be fulfilled. That's salvation by works. God provides the sacrifice. God gives us the gift of faith. We become sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. The way you and I are saved, every person here who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior knows how to live by faith. You might sit there and you think, "Ah, Steve, I have no idea how to live by faith. I would say you do. 
Every person who believes in Jesus Christ knows how to live a life of faith. You are here today believing and worshiping and singing songs of praise because you believe 2,000 years ago, as a fact of history, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born into this world, died on a cross, and was raised from the dead. And you believe that one day he's going to return as a victorious king to usher in the fullness of his kingdom. You live by faith. And the same faith that saves us is the faith that enables us to live a radical life of advancing his kingdom. And I want to say this, don't get discouraged by little faith at times. I I had this revelation this week. I don't need to have great faith. You know why? Because I serve a great God. If I served a little God, then I would need to have great faith. But I serve a great God. And God is not put off by my moments of weakness. God is not put off by my moments of fear and my moments of anxiety and those times where God's word, which was so clear yesterday, seems so unattainable today. When we are faithless, God is always faithful. That enables us to live a life of faith. And so, My encouragement to us all, as I call James up, is this, if you are a follower in Jesus, don't forget the good news of the gospel. Celebrate the good news of the gospel every day. Celebrate the grace of God every day. Celebrate it. Jesus is the one who is worthy of our praise. Jesus is the one who is worthy of our honor. We look to him and to him alone. Let me close in prayer and I'm gonna ask James to come up. Father, thank you. Can we just, if you are a follower of Jesus here today, and I know that most of you are, can I ask you just where you are seated, it can be loudly, it can be quietly, can you thank the Father? Can you thank the Father for sending Jesus? Jesus, thank you that you are our Lord and Savior. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you that you are the sacrifice and the offering by which we hide. Thank you that we don't put our faith in anything but you. Thank you that I'm forever and always accepted because of what you've done. I love you. Lord, would you build this truth of acceptance into my heart? Would you build this truth of your approval into my heart today? Let that be the foundation by which I step forward into the day tomorrow, into the year ahead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Steve. We're going to stay in this place for a few moments. The Lord has done a very clear work of reminding those of us who are followers of Jesus that we have a sure-footed place of acceptance by the Father, not because of what we bring, as Steve so wonderfully shared, but because of the fullness of the work of Jesus, the full and completed work of Jesus. So even right now, we just continue to pray, and I just want to uh, just say, Lord, please just continue to release by your spirit that work in our hearts. And even right now where there's been um, 
uh, Aaron Foster had a word uh, while we were praying uh, before the service today that, uh, that there's been some of us who have been trying to legitimize our place before God. Even though we've, we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we do some kind of work to legitimize our standing, to be able to go before him. And, and just, you know, our prayer right now is that that begins to go away, begins to unravel in Jesus' name in those of us who know Jesus. Um, Gary, can I invite you up for a moment? Gary, I want to invite Gary up to, to share, um, just to put um, a little emphasis on what Steve shared um, about the gospel, about for if you don't know Jesus as Lord. Um, I want Gary to share um, just about how we can. I've, I've, I've actually, we, we've talked, and, and Steve and I have asked Gary uh, to come. So, Gary, would you just share that and, uh, yeah, about our placing our faith in him? So if you're out there today and the things that Steve said resonated with you um, and that you long for acceptance, um, and that's just a place that you're worried about, maybe you're not accepted or you don't, you've never felt that way. You've never gone to um, God before and said, I want to be accepted. Um, this might be that day for you. Um, if, there's, if you're sitting out there and you've never done this before and you're tired of being caught up in things you wish you didn't do, you're in bondage to um, habits, if you're in bondage to brokenness, wherever that came from, there is freedom from that. And if you've never found that freedom, this might be the day for you. Um, if you're afraid, um, you don't know how to go through your day every day, um, and you're tired of that, and you wish you had a place of no freedom, this might be the day to come to that place. Um, so if, if this resonates with you, you're, you're longing to have a family to be part of, to be accepted. If you're longing for freedom from pain, if you're longing for freedom um, for just stuff that's held you in bondage, fear, whatever it would be, this can be the day um, to do that. So if you've never done that before, if you've never gone to Jesus and said, I, I want to I enter into that, I want to I have freedom, I want to have acceptance, and that's the call of your heart today, would you please put your hand up? I'd like to help you get there. Okay, um, thank you. Anybody else? Okay, this is, um, this is actually really cool because somebody's put their hand up and said, I want to step from where I was to where I am. And I know this might be a little bit embarrassing. I don't mean it to be. Would you please come up front? Um, thank you very much. Let's give her a hand. Yeah. I'm not going to have you say anything, but what I'd like to do when I'm done here is I'll come over and I'll pray with you to help you either. So that's awesome. This is awesome. So if a couple other people could come up here and pray with me, that'd be great. Awesome. Guys, this is the work of Jesus. This is the work of the gospel. This is the unapologetic, full, powerful work of Jesus. So as Gary and Debs continue to minister, I'm gonna, we're going to bring the meeting to a close officially, but please... We're going to have other people that want to pray with you up front. If there's other ways that we can stand with you, whether it's something that touches on what Steve preached on about standing full, approved, unapologetically 
in faith before Jesus because of the fullness of what he's done, we want to pray with you. If you're trusting for a miracle of healing in your body, we want to pray with you. If you're trusting for anything, a job, for God to break through in a tangible way in anything, we want to stand with you. So please don't leave without allowing us the chance to do that. And lastly, uh, I do want to invite Knock and Levy and their family back up. We're going to be over here for a few moments. If, if God's laid something on your heart for their family or for Samuel, please come and share that as well. Guys, the Lord is moving. The Lord is moving. And I'm absurdly, probably a little illegally excited about 2017 and just what God has for us, not because of us, but as we do the three-legged race and let the Spirit lead, keeping in step with Him because of what Jesus has done. Bless you guys. We will see you Wednesday night at 1040 for our prayer meeting, and we'll see you next Sunday after that. Bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.